Welcome back to the Big Red Hunters podcast. We want to start by saying thank you so much, listeners, for taking the time out of your day to listen to this. We also want to say thank you to our sponsors who provide so much support for us. If you manage to kill that dream whitetail buck or maybe that bull sprig, check out Whitetail Classics Taxidermy, owned by Jody Schultz out of Louisville, Nebraska. Basically can put together whatever you can dream up. So check them out at whitetailclassicstaxidermy.com or his Facebook and if you want to talk to him today or book something, call him at 402-630-0031. Next up is Spores Wet Basement Solutions. Their services include water damage and crack repairs, landscaping, concrete driveways, grading, and more. Their recommendations provide solutions that are a long-term and not temporary fix. They do it right the first time. If you want additional information, you can check out spores.com or contact them at 402-476-8588. If you're like me and like to drive your wife nuts every season with a new duck or goose, call right, baby. Yep. Pretty much. Call, uh, check out B. Hoover Custom Calls. Brent Hoover out of North Pot, Nebraska is one of the best that comes around. He actually uh, got second at Best of Show at NWTF Nationals. Awesome guy. Personal friend of the family. Actually helped my dad harvest his bull elk. He specializes in wood, duck, and goose calls, turkey pots, dog whistles, and shotgun shell teal whistles. Awesome guy. Check him out at behoovercustomcalls.com. If your vehicle gets disgusting like my husband does during hunting season, meep, meep. <laughs> check out Dirty Devil Detailing. They do interior and exterior detailing as well as headlight restoration and more. They also are certified in glass parency and take anything from vehicles, boats, jet skis, ATVs, and motorcycles. The devil is truly in the detailing. They're located in Omaha, Nebraska, and if you want additional information, check them out on dirtydevildetailing.com. If you're like me and have taken a few L's here this early season and pretty much (laughs) (laughs) if you're like me and taking some L's and you really want that perfect hunt with the buddies and just get out there and enjoy what's going on and have to worry about anything, check out the other guys outfitters. They do an incredible job of, uh, dry field duck and goose hunts you can check out their pile picks on facebook and if you're wanting to book a hunt today call Krager at 308-637-7777 if you're needing some professional photography done check out my business faithful images our mission is to faithfully capture images of god's creation in time that will one day serve as a memory we do anything from infants couples families seniors weddings announcements and more check it out at faithfulimages.org or on instagram and facebook if you're ever sitting there during covid and thought to yourself i really need to get on that dream hunt i don't know (laughs) what what's going to happen in life but i need to get in that dream hunt check out chaku peru he does hunts in u.s south america and europe if you've seen some of his pics or videos if you haven't jump on his facebook or instagram has some incredible hunts and does some incredible things. Uh, check him out at chakuperu.com for more details. Our last sponsor is Redbeard's Custom Calls. They specialize in acrylic duck and goose calls. Andrew made me one of the, a one-of-a-kind marble white and hot pink dunk call. It sounds incredible. It looks amazing. If you want more information, check it out on Facebook. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for the support, and let's go ahead and jump in the podcast.
Welcome back to the Big Red Hunters podcast. Today it's Hunter and Jeremy. Co-host Jeremy. Co-host Jeremy. <laughs> I like the sound of that. Good thing Shay wasn't down here. Well, guys, last week we talked about private permission. Uh, we've kind of done a little bit of a series, kind of moving our way into late season duck hunting. Um, we're kind of in that weird transition phase that I would normally call Slovember. Mm-hmm. But it's really odd because you can still find pods of birds places. This year's just odd because the pods of birds are really spread out, even though they should be condensed with the lack of water. But I called last year, and I told you it's probably going to happen this year, but I think we're significantly getting jumped again. I don't think we're getting jumped. I don't I don't think the birds are even getting here. I just, from it's everything that I've so seen, like, warm. they just fly in, hang out for a night or two, especially oh. with those full moons and just... I will I will say that all of those divers we had a couple of weeks ago, they literally just went through Nebraska in about a forty eight hour period of time. <laughs> do 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 yay. Yep, pretty much. No, I'm just kidding. As long as they were all ring necks. That's yeah. it. But uh <laughs> had before we get too far into this, uh listeners we're gonna talk about late season uh duck hunting, but I don't wanna get too far because I wanna hear about this. This deer trip old Jeremy went on. So <laughs> I I went to Mexico for a week, and then Jeremy went to deer camp. Yeah, Hunter hates deer hunting, so he decided to leave the country. It was a bad decision. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> uh, we'll get there. Go ahead with your deer camp. Oh, uh, deer camp. Honestly, I had great success this year at deer camp, but it was a struggle. I'm sure with all the... Is it being as warm as it is. Yeah, you know, it really actually wasn't even the warmth. Across the state, there's a there's a growing concern that EHD hit really, really hard this fall. Um, I actually heard a report that in the air. That would be my dog upstairs. Something. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a report that actually in the unit that I was hunting, the whitetail numbers are down about 40%, hmm. which is crazy yeah um so we did not see as many deer as that we as we usually see um we hunt public land so there was a lot of people um did help one of my buddies get his very first deer helped another buddy shoot his second deer um i haven't really like displayed it on social media a whole lot but i for the first two days of uh the trip i basically played cleanup Mm. Um, I mean, not that anybody was making bad shots, but it just did seem like I would shoot a deer that somebody had already shot in the group. Yeah. And, you know, cause we kind of have one of those mentalities that once it's hit, you do what you can do to get it to the ground. Yeah. Cause you know, as hunters, we want that humane kill, but, <sighs> but Monday, Monday, my luck changed a lot. Oh man. And you were, man, you must have been really confused about what I was talking about because Monday was your special, one of your special days on your trip. So, Ooh, special <laughs> days. <laughs> no, <It's>, yeah. <laughs> I hunted really, really hard on Saturday and Sunday. I'm kind of, kind of dragging this out. We're both a little tired. I think we're worn out from our weeks. But um, I hunted really hard on Saturday and Sunday. Helped some friends get some deer. Um, had some complicated issues throughout camp 
Um, was really tired of all the people hunting around us. There was three guys that went through the area in orange, or without orange, sorry. Um, a lot of people shooting and not hitting deer in the group. It was a crazy, we should have come back with a lot more deer. Sunday around noon, we were back at camp eating lunch, and we had these guys that were camps, camped across from us. In the area that we were hunting, we were whitetail hunting. The tag that I have was good for a whitetail or a mule deer. Um, I've had that tag for the last three years. The last two years, I uh, <clears throat> tried really, really hard to successfully shoot a mule deer buck. I Two years ago, I saw a couple either right off the private or a really long ways away without uh, any kind of shot. And then, so I didn't have success that year. Last year, I missed a buck and then ended up shooting a doe later on in the trip just to gotcha. just to say I'd shot just a mule deer period yeah. and, you know, meat in the freezer. And that, at heart, I'm a meat hunter, but I do like to shoot bucks occasionally. So I had the tag this year, but I wasn't even going to go to the area where the mule deer were. I was just, like, set on hunting whitetails. Um but after two days of hard hunting, I talked to these guys ac- across from us who had antlerless tags and were hunting the area <coughs> that I have hunted mule deer in the past. And I knew there was a pile of them back in there. I talked to this one guy and they were like, yeah, we got two of our four does, but they were from Colorado and they, they were like, we're, we're done. We're going home. You know, yep. we got, we got some deer. We don't need to stay any longer. And I was like, oh, that's really awesome. And he was like, yeah, there's a really big buck in there. <laughs> and then there's another buck in there. And I was like, you guys are hunting public? He's like, yeah. And I was like, you care if you show me where you're at? Like, not to be disrespectful, but, like, you guys are leaving. I have that tag. We talked for a little bit. He showed me the maps. And actually, it's the area that I know really, really well. I knew exactly what bowl they were talking about where these deer were hanging out. And so I just, I, I like, I told everybody else in the group, I was like, you guys go hunt. I'm going to do a solo thing on Monday morning. And um, <coughs> my buddy, Bri- <coughs> Dang. my buddy Bryant wanted to go with me, but I, I respectfully was like, listen, dude, um, <laughs> I don't mean to be harsh, um, but if something was to get messed up, because the big buck that they were seeing in there was a big four by five with giant bases. I mean, yeah. Uh, and I stopped and talked to one guy in the morning who said he'd seen it the year before and the year before it was 160 inch deer. Wow. So I, I never saw it. Um, but apparently it's giant. Like it was big enough that the guys from Colorado were trying to find a tag that they could buy, but like they were gone and they just couldn't. Yeah. So like it, there was no reason for it. But, um, so I told my buddy Brian, I was like, it's not that I would like be mad at you if like something happened and the hunt got messed up and it could anyway be your fault. It's just that I don't want you to feel bad because I kind of like was stressing out. There were some aspects of the trip that kind of had me down a little bit and I was losing motivation and I really just wanted to go in on my own. Yeah. So I went in on my own and, uh, man, I was running behind. Everything was going wrong. I stopped and talked with a couple guys on the far end of the property just to make sure where they were. That conversation turned into like a 15-minute conversation, and I'm already like rushing to get there by shooting light. 
Yep. I leave my truck. I forget my binoculars and my rangefinder. And it's a rolling hill land, no trees, nothing to gauge off of. So I just was like, I didn't realize that I had forgotten it until I was like three quarters of the way to my spot. I was like, it's almost shooting light. I'm just going to have to suffer through. Not, um, I'm not going to do anything about it. And <clears throat> so I sit, sit down and I'm enjoying the morning. And I know this story is getting a little long-winded, but um, I'm sitting down enjoying the morning. And like we talk about it on the podcast a little bit, our our spiritual lives. And yeah. like this whole thing was kind of just a, a God situation. And like I was praying as I was going, I was like, Lord, I've been trying to do this, you know, for years. Um, you know, I was thinking about a lot of the things that happened on the trip and like, some of the other things in my life and it just felt good to be out on my own you know talking with god having a moment and i just was like kind of had like one of those feelings it's like i'm following those like the steps that you put in front of me and like maybe this is like maybe there's something special that's going to be going on here because um i've always wanted to shoot a meal deer. just always been fascinated with them <clears throat> and uh get to my spot and the area that we were hunting, you have a bonus whitetail tag. Uh, the unit that we're hunting. <laughs> oh, Zeus. Oh, Zeus. <laughs> uh, anyways, the area, the unit that we're hunting, you get a bonus whitetail ta- white doe tag. And, but, like, the spot I was hunting specifically, I'd never once before in my life seen a whitetail. Um and I'm just sitting there taking the morning in, um, kind of just relaxing, scanning the just the horizon, looking for deer. And somehow, some way, this white-tailed doe, I mean, she was three miles from any form of trees, anything, nothing. Like, which is really, for the area, is really odd that they were there, that she was there. She walked within 10 feet of me. She came up a little hill right below me. I never saw her until she was right in front of me. And, like, my gun's sitting at my left. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of, like, looking at something on my phone, checking the, you know, the wind for the day, kind of that kind of stuff. And, you know, so I I literally, like, look up, and she's right there. I mean, she doesn't know what I am, but she's like, what the heck is going on? (laughs) <laughs> and and I just kind of I just kind of froze, and she ducked down into the hole below me, and I grabbed my rifle because I was like, I have it, I have the extra tag, I'm here, you know, it's a white-tailed doe. I didn't think I'd see one back here, but hey, you know, when the opportunity arises, like, we'll take it. Yeah. And I like hop over the hill. I'm looking for her. She, I knew she dipped down in the va- like in the hole below me, but she just completely disappeared. And then I saw her. She went up the backside, but she was running straight away from me and like no great shot and but like I knew where she was going, so I, I walked like a hundred yards down the ridge from me, hoping that she would pop out. I'm just standing there and um nothing. Like she just disappeared. And I like kinda start to walk back to where I'm sitting and I'm like in the back of my head I'm like, This is really crazy. Like, why is this happening? Like, why why was she here? Yeah. And then, like, as I'm sitting there about, to ready, about ready to go back to my bag, 
this four by four mule deer buck steps out right below me 100 yards and i just was like <clears throat> i saw the body for any of you that follow me on instagram you can see the post it's not a giant buck he's super tall but like honestly the picture i posted is kind of deceiving because he's like tall but he's really like narrow yeah um i just saw the body i brought my scope up and i was like it's a buck and i i was like the whole time i was like i don't care i've been trying for three years public land meal deer hunting and like i literally just dropped to my knee and i was like i'm gonna shoot this deer i don't care 100 yards chip shot dropped him in his tracks and i just like <laughs> the emotions like uh, i'm a soft dude i won't lie i'm pretty <laughs> soft dude um but just like this three four year journey that i've been on trying to shoot a mule deer you know some some other personal crap it, it just all hit me and i literally like just i lost it i was like like I I wouldn't say I was bawling, but I definitely was tearing up and like thank you like I literally like went to my knees. I was like, Lord, like you definitely like put this opportunity in front of me. I wasn't even gonna come here. So it was it was a really cool hunt. And of course I spent like the next forty five minutes taking pictures and talking to people on the phone and like I called I I, I ran back up before I even touched the deer, I ran up to my because I when I left to chase that doe, I dropped my phone by my bag. I ran back up to my bag, grabbed my phone, called my dad. I was like, he knew I was in there after a giant, but he, I, we'd also known that there was another four by four, but I didn't know how big. Obviously, he wasn't huge, huge, and I'm pretty sure it's the deer that I shot. But I called him. I was like, it's not the giant that we were that I was in here, like that I've been told about. But I don't care. Three years I've been trying to do this. This buck walked out in front of me, and, you know, I got it done. I was, like, freaking out. It's, like, 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> and, uh, but I, it was it was awesome. So, that, that, ended, that I mean, it's one of those things where you just have, when you finally get to that point where you conquer what you're trying mm-hmm. to conquer, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, I did it. Well, and I, I kind of was down because, like, this year my goal has been to just it's kind of like odd to speak this way, but like every year I try and kind of have a goal to be successful with some new species. And this year I've already been on an elk hunt. Um, it was not the best hunt in the world. Didn't have any success. And like then to be on this hunt and I'm watching the people around me. No, I was helping them get deer cause I wanted them to get deer. I wasn't really, like, I was trying to shoot a buck really the whole trip. Hadn't seen anything big enough for me to pull the trigger, or, or at least for a whitetail. Um, and I've always wanted to shoot a mule deer buck. And last year I missed a, a pretty decent one, probably about the same size as this, maybe a little bigger. And I just beat myself up on it. And, like, for everything to go so right, but also so chaotically, um, I just... it. It's fantastic, and like, <clears throat> I know you don't like deer hunting, but like, that was what it was all about. And I texted Brad. I was like, three years just completed a <laughs> completed a goal, and he was like, I didn't send him a picture yet, but he was like, that's awesome. Pictures, quite like pictures, pictures. <laughs> and I just was like, I finally shot a mule deer. I've been trying for so long, and talking to brad about his trip and like yeah we got to get him on talk 
We should really get him on and go more in depth about our deer hunts, but I would like to. I think, and I was thinking that as you were saying that was, I've seen a lot. I've seen it more this year than I have in years past. The debate on shooting smaller bucks, and I've I've always obviously I know you and Brad are definitely more of uh, freezer fillers, which there's that side of debate, and it'd be nice to get like the different viewpoints and just talk over them because, like. I get, I get. There's arguments for both sides, but it's just like a, a debate at the forefront, especially in Nebraska. And I would like to hash that conversation without with with you guys because I think it'd be a good one. Just I think it'd to be, have out. That's a that's a real good idea. Actually, almost should get him on sometime this week or yeah, maybe for the next podcast. It's not a bad idea. But I mean, it it's it's. I think the reason there's such a big debate behind it, though, like just because it's in in my head is nebraska does two bucks you're allowed to shoot two bucks in this state yeah and so like our public land man it's hard to shoot mature deer i actually have mad respect for brad in particular like um they shoot for public land they've been shooting some big deer the last couple years yeah um in nebraska so i mean i I and I was happy to shoot what I did for the mule deer. It was just a two and a half year old buck. I mean, nothing giant, but yeah. still, like for me, when it comes to that kind of a situation, the first doesn't matter to me. Yeah, like I like I could have had a forky walked out walk out in front of me, and there's a good chance I probably would have. I probably would have shot him because I've never shot one. Yeah, you mark it off the list. Enjoy that feeling, then go for the big success. Yeah. Like, because, and I did that with my whitetail this year. Two years ago, I shot a halfway decent buck on our on our rifle season trip. This year, we come back home. Friday, I went out, um, and I had a two-and-a-half-year-old buck that, well, even last year, I probably would have shot this deer. Um, but I just, you know, I looked at him kind of spindly, had a lot of potential. He's got a cool turkey foot on one side. Really, really cool looking deer. And I actually was like, <sighs> kind of like, I talked to a few of the other guys that were hunting the area. And I was like, I basically alluded to the fact that if this deer could make it through the season, he's going to be an absolute giant this year. Um, because he will. Like next year, he would be a, a stud. Yeah. Um, but. Nebraska public land is rough when it comes to bucks. It's yeah, it's brutal actually. But that's uh, yeah. I, I'll get you. We'll have to get on at some point and talk about that. We still have, still have an elk podcast. We got a lot of podcasts to go. But. I got, I got my Wyoming elk hunt here in a couple of weeks. We just need to do a giant elk hunt podcast after that. Yeah. Uh, so I went to Cozumel. <laughs> it didn't end well. <laughs> I won't really get into the details, but pretty shitty. so monday drink way too much this guy hands me this drink and i'm pretty shwasty at this point like seven out of ten probably eight out of ten it's more seven i'll say seven and he i he adds to my wife and he's like try this and she says she's like oh it's not that bad gives to me and i just slosh the whole thing (laughs) and it's like one of those little plastic cups and he's like he looks at me he's like are you crazy and i'm like Am I? (laughs) (laughs) 
no, I'm fine. And he's like, uh, that whole thing was straight alcohol. <laughs> and I'm sitting here thinking, uh-oh. <laughs> so I climb up on the chair and, like, get underneath the umbrella. And, like, my stomach was already going sour, like, five minutes in. And I go, but I go up to the room and I'm like, lay on the bed to try to take a nap to get away from the spins and all the other the I knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. I was trying to get away from it. Didn't work. Ended up on the bathroom floor, just bleh, everywhere. I don't even. I, I woke up in the bed. I don't know how I got there. And like on my side of this whole situation, I was telling Hunter about my buck, and we were having a good conversation about it. And he just like dropped. Yep. <laughs> dropped out of the conversation, like middle of it, and then like six hours later. Text me, yeah. I threw up and passed. Out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's pretty much how it went. <laughs> so, so fast forward, had a pretty good time. The other thing I, I wish I would have went out there had planned was to go deep sea fishing for you know morning because, like, out in that bay area, the Caribbean, like, it's just not very choppy. Mm-hmm. So it would have been fun to go out there and do that. But oh well, didn't do it. Um. Went snorkeling, saw some incredible fish. Saw was it a baby barracuda? Should have got some revenge for for Nemo. <laughs> Freaking barracudas! But um, <laughs> it was pretty good until like Friday morning when. So if you're out there and you're thinking to yourself, I need to lose some weight. I'm going into Christmas. I I want to look good, or like maybe after Christmas, you're like maybe I gained too much weight from eating too much. I'm just going to tell you now, the old Cozumel cleanse is not for you. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. So I get it on Friday, and we fly out Saturday afternoon. And, uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't move out of bed on Friday. I got COVID tested, didn't have that. Saturday rolls around, and we got to go to the airport, and, like, I'm barely making it through. <laughs> like, I, I want to go to the hospital. I felt that crappy. And my wife's just like, make it through, make it through these gates. Like, let's get you to Miami. If we need to go to the hospital, we can go to the hospital. And she, I don't know how many drugs she gave me, but I made it. <laughs> not, not great, but we made it to Miami. And by that time, like, I, I don't know. I just was in zombie mode. So I just like, let's just go to, let's go back home. And so in this process, Friday, I only like two pieces of pizza all Saturday, like a handful of pretzels at most. Mm-hmm. get here s- Sunday and I told Che I was like if uh, it was not good hmm. uh, so <laughs> he's not going to let me get through this without saying it or my wife uh, so I was like well let's see how like let's see how the Monday or morning goes like Sunday and then we can make a decision to go somewhere and uh, let's just say <laughs> I shit the bed I just say it I shit the bed real good <laughs> And so it was, it was pretty bad, like horrible. I was in my, in my dream, I farted and that's what, it was bad, dude. (laughs) It was real bad. (laughs) So went to the ED, you know, after basically not eating for two and a half, three days. So I'm, I talked to him and (laughs) talked to Jeremy. I was like, I am a straight zombie right now. I am making a comeback. I've finally eaten like <laughs> normal food the last day, so I'm trying. <laughs> so talking about <laughs> late season duck hunting. 
Um, this is, I, I would say, and this kind of ties in, like, obviously right now, physically, I am just exhausted because of everything that happened. Mentally, I'm pretty good because of the vacation, getting away from work. But, like, tying it back into duck hunting and just hunting in general, I feel like right now is it's a struggle for everybody because Slovember, there's a reason why I call it Slovember is because normally either waiting on some fresh birds or we got most birds are here stale or. Well, and something about our area, we just never. November sucks in our area. I don't area. know why. I don't. Yeah, we get that really good push of early birds. And then uh, once they're gone. Yep. Well, it's hard because this migration this year has just been so spread out. Even up until, the hard part is I had a good track on birds up until about last week. And then, you know, it seemed like South Dakota was really dicing on them. People in North Dakota said they were getting fresh mallards. It just seemed like things were lining up. And then I disappeared for a week and... I don't know, people just doesn't, like, Kansas seems like they got a good push, and I think Kansas just got the remaining of what was in Nebraska, because... You know, and this is a question for you, and I'm not saying this is true or not, but, like, have you ever thought that maybe, and I've heard Freelance say this a couple times, is that he really likes cold fronts and then some warm weather to come behind it, because if warm weather comes behind it, there'll be some reverse migration... I don't know how true that would be, like, now. See, I've never, I can't say that I've ever, like, experienced a true reverse migration. I actually don't think um, you get a true reverse migration. I think when you get warm weather, birds are getting pushed around so much because they're stale and they're in the area. And then at some point, they kind of just pick up and they could move, like, 20 to 30 miles Hmm. east or west or southern, whatever. I've. I have seen, I've seen reverse migration. I have seen migrate reverse migration with geese mostly. Like there will be certain years it'll be warmer, and like during the late season, say like February, it's starting to warm up towards spring, like early. I've seen lessers come back, and we've hunted lessers before, but I haven't really seen that much with ducks. But that's just an idea I've had. Well, okay, I guess. I've seen some reverse migration on those years where we get those really, really, really good cold fronts. Yeah. Somewhere late October, mid-November, because we'll get, like, just a pile of those northern birds. There's a bunch of snow up north. You'll get a bunch of those. We might even lock up. A couple years ago, we, in November, like, early November, we almost, like, almost locked up. Yeah. Um, we lost a lot, like, we just had a lot of birds blow right by us, and then, like, right around Thanksgiving, birds everywhere, and I, it warmed up a touch, I truly think that that was a reverse migration situation, because, to a level, especially those northern mallards, and the birds that stay, your late season birds, your northern mallards, gray ducks that stay up north, um, green-winged teal, like, they really actually follow those snow lines in particular. That is really what it is. Where is there snow and how much of it is there? Yeah. Um, and I, like, because South Dakota, in, like, South Dakota in particular end up on the northern um, boundaries of Nebraska, 
the line yep. along the river. There's birds that sit in that area year round. Yeah, there just is because the water always stays open. And if there's no, if there's not a foot of snow, they're getting the corn. Yeah, all year they just sit there. I mean, it's it's just plain and simple. They're always there. Um. So I think on those years that we get just a crazy amount of snow, I think. Yeah. When it starts to melt a little bit, we get some reverse migration. But the hardest part about this year is just the mild, the mild weather. Like you can't expect much for ducks to move when it's thirty in the morning and fifty in the afternoon, sixty. Mm-hmm. It's just like sounds like a duck's paradise to me. Why would they want to go anywhere? Well, exactly. And right now, the birds are so broken apart um, that. Like you can't you can't expect to find big groups of birds. Yeah. Like I mean, the last duck I went on Thursday, and I mean, I saw six mallards. I mean, I haven't seen a group of mallards that small small in November probably ever. Yeah. Like at this point, we should be killing them in big flocks. <laughs> you'd think in you in, would, in the think. field. You would think in the fields, farm ponds should be loaded up with them, and. We're just struggling with that. Yeah. And I don't know. So let's go on. Let's go on some late season tips. So if some new hunter came to you and said, hey, I need some tips about late season. I've struggled early season. Let's let's start. Let's start the conversation. What would you say, number one? Well, I would say if you struggled late early season... Just be prepared the late season <laughs> a, a grind. But no, I mean, I think I we we say this a lot and I know that it kinda sounds like we just like beat it into everyone, but scout. You gotta scout. Like um a couple years like I always go hunting on Thanksgiving, have probably for the last seven or eight years. Um and I used to hunt with a bunch of guys, a lot of them have moved away and or are out of town most of the time on Thanksgiving. But there was one year I had the day before Thanksgiving off, and I literally spent all day scouting and did not find the hunt that we hunted on Thanksgiving until, like, late afternoon. Gotcha. And sometimes you had to put your eyes on that much water, that much area to uh, really find success. Yeah. Um. I would also say don't be, if if you don't have time, if you don't have time to scout, your marshes at this point are, I don't know, I've never had luck with marshes after October, really. I think there's, uh, back up, it's talking about scouting, if you're going to make something a priority, of where you're going to scout. Say, I've got two hours of scout. I can pick out three or four spots I can go go look at. Go for your bigger, like your bigger waters, like your reservoirs, or if it's a marsh, go for the bigger marshes. Number one, big ducks like mallards and gadwall, like they like bigger marshes. There's more area for them to kind of keep their eye on. They just mm-hmm. like the bigger spaces. Um, with marshes, at least from what I've seen. Um, but it's one of those things, if, you know your area, then obviously pick the more popular areas for ducks, just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like 
it's it's depends on the I, I would say for scouting it would depend on the weather for me if i if i know it's gonna if it's gonna ice up or could be really cold then obviously i'm going to big big water mm-hmm. trying to figure that if it's you know mild like this i might check some um if you got rivers go for that you really like when it's mild and you got some stale birds and it's late season and there's not much water i would go for spaces or places that have birds that consistently kind of just do their deal or move you know like a lake or a river system because yeah you might not have a smash hunt you might only kill a few but at least you're killing a few yeah now if you're looking for that you know say say tomorrow is supposed to be uh actually let's put this let's put this out there so is it two days from now thursday right it's like low of 20 something high of like 35 8 or 38 or something supposed to be cloudy or is it cloudy or sunny i think it's sunny sunny with like a north wind right so let's let's just put that in there and then let's talk about what places you you would scout because if i was going to do it i would go check mostly reservoirs from this year since it's been more successful than other places at this point yeah i would be checking the reservoirs around your area yeah um and farm ponds those are probably the two areas that i would focus upon um i really like i love small water i do it has a place in my heart but on mild days i just never have very good luck with small water maybe that's just me yeah, of course, we're sitting here talking about this, and I'm saying reservoirs and farm ponds, but then I, I flip back to the fact that it's been such a mild year that in the same breath, which is probably why it's so hard, I think you could kill birds in a marsh this year. Yeah. Because there's almost no lockup. Now, Thursday, I wouldn't dream about hunting a marsh yep. because you would get there and there's two inches of ice, and yep. it would suck. I mean, you would, for lack of a better term, you'd be wasting your time. I've done that. I've done that hunt where you get into a hole and it's like, oh, there's way more ice here than I thought there would be. <laughs> I have a good story for you. Uh-huh. So a couple of years ago, uh, <laughs> we'd hunted the day before a nice cold front and evening hunt and just smashed up on some green wings. Awesome. We're thinking there's going to get some mallards down the next day. Cold north wind, some snow, and like we told, uh, screw it. I we told the club manager to turn on the pumps because it's going to freeze up. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't. He said the you know the wind will keep it open. Got there, frozen, frozen. I was sitting out there for almost an hour, busting ice while the pump was running. Got enough water open. I think we killed three mallards that day, which at least we killed something. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I honestly, I don't think we would have done any better anyway because there's, I think we saw, like, four flocks. But maybe all four flocks would have done it if it was hey. open. <laughs> <laughs> but I think late season, having water is one of the keys to the game. Yeah, having water that, if, it, if it's really cold, having water that can stay open. So, quick question for you. If you had to decide on throwing a spread, big, middle, Little, what do you do for a spread? Oh, crap. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> um, 
this year. Yep. This year in particular, I with the reports that I've been getting, I'm probably not going super duper big, and it would be very diverse. You think? Well, with some of the reports of people still shooting just a massive mixed bag, I mean, people are still shooting uh, wood ducks. Yeah. Which is crazy to me. Um, But, I mean, I know it's not impossible. No, not at all. I just, heck, most times, like last year, wood ducks are all gone. First weekend of duck season, Mm -hmm. they were all gone. Yeah, I I didn't even, I'm not even sure that I saw a wood duck last year. Um, we had quite a few of them that were hanging out on a, a private piece we can hunt, but they, we were excited because during teal season they kept landing with us, but as soon as teal shut off, they were gone. So I was, I was pretty disappointed because obviously I wanted to shoot one, but if it were me, um, talk about spread, I would do something like I, so I have a, a dozen mallards, dozen fully flocked super pristine mallards they only come out in certain situations that i'm going to run a small spread and have a very detailed nice looking ducks that is a good point i i didn't even think about that aspect of the spread i would go with the most detailed best look best looking decoys that i have so if i had choice what i would pick out is i'd take that dozen mallards I would take your half dozen gadwall because gadwall are more than likely to show up. Now, when you're scouting, I would pick out what type of birds are in there, mm-hmm. and there are certain areas that have different birds. Um, either I'd either run some green wings or some widgeon. Let's say I would probably throw just not even a crazy amount, probably like three or four widgeon, because it always seems like, especially if you get a good group of mallards late season, there's a widgeon or two with them. Yeah, there almost always is. Um, and occasionally you'll even see a pintail, but um, not enough that I would run pintails. Yeah, my yeah my pintails are done. Unless I'm gonna run some like massive refuge spread. Yeah, which it definitely is helpful in certain scenarios, but probably not in the scenarios I'm gonna run this week. But uh, I think the other thing that I would run um, this week with what I've been seeing in the area. Um, basically as many geese as you can get. If we're hunting water, as many floaters as you can get your hands on. Yeah. Like as the group, depending on who's hunting. Because um, it just seems like there's, it does seem like there's a good number of geese in the area. Yeah. Um, it's about the only thing we seem to be seeing right now, actually, in my opinion. But I, you've been gone, so... Well, yeah, and that's a hard, you know, coming from that aspect, I I don't even know what's out there. I don't know what's going on because I haven't been able to scout. I mean. Well, and I say that, and I, I haven't even, I haven't been out since last Thursday. And we, ha- we had a really good north wind on Sunday. So who knows? I mean, something could have blown in. Yeah. Um, there again, if you use your art of networking, just like Jeremy and I were talking about yesterday, is Jeremy will probably go one way and I'll probably go another way mm-hmm. and try to cover as many places as we can quickly. That way we can maybe get a hunt put together. So yeah. hopefully that works out. But scouting, I do like detailed decoys. This is going to be a big one. This will inevitably make or break your hunt. Scouting is number one. If you can find the birds, awesome. Number two... 
I wouldn't even put decoys up there. I just, that was a random question I thought of. Number two, I would say is your hide. Mm-hmm. Your hide, I've seen make or break hunts for sure. Oh, definitely. And here's the thing. If you get in a spot where your hide's not good and you do put out and you start seeing birds that kind of, they, they'll come down and they'll, you know, run crossways. So if their eyes are coming like parallel to where you're at, what they're doing is they're checking out the spread. They're checking out you. And the first thing you want to do is watch their body language. If they start to kind of cup up and kind of come towards you and then immediately pick up at about 60, 70 yards and roll out of there and just keep going, you need to figure out how to hide yourself better. Mm -hmm. That is the difference maker between ducks being locked down into your spread and just continuing to fly and, you know, that's the other thing, too, is you might get some pass shots, but I'd rather have them locked in than doing some pass shooting. So really do a double down on your hide. Yeah. So yeah. if you're, you're going to put the work in, you might as well be successful. Yeah, you got to go the extra mile. I mean, because you, you may not be hunting fresh birds. You yeah. might just be hunting birds that have decided to be in the area. Um, and I mean, for instance, when we were out Thursday, we had those six mallards and they were not fresh birds. They'd been in the area for a little while, even though we had a North wind that day and the day before, but they definitely were not new birds because they gave us two very, very good looks. And if they'd been fresh birds, they would have been dead birds. Like that's the kind of looks that they gave us. And I don't, I'm not even sure if it actually was our hide. I think I had the, I didn't, I don't think I had the decoys spread out enough. And I, did, I just don't, cause they like, they got to like 35 and they weren't even looking at the blind and they just picked up. Yeah. So it's tough, but absolutely. If you're seeing birds that come around you are dumping towards the decoys, cupped up at all and like, they just pick up way earlier than you think they would They would with the way they're acting. They saw something. And the, oh, piggybacking off of that a little bit when it comes to that aspect of it. If you've got birds late season, especially when the birds are few and far between, if you get one group that comes in, doesn't like something, change something. Do not just sit there and go, ah, next group will do it. Because they may not. They probably won't. You're you're more than likely hunting a bunch of educated birds, which means that if you just don't change anything, they're going to come around, and then they're just going to see the same thing the other birds are seeing. So if you got birds that flare on you, if you got birds that are call shy, um, if, you got bir- if you don't have enough motion, um, fix it. Don't just sit there and wait and see what happens. Because I can promise you it'll be a waste of your time. <laughs> and here's a good one. If you know that your area is pretty well pressured or educated or anything like that, I'm just telling you right now. With the bird hatch this year, most of the birds were hunting as adults. And I'm telling you right now, if you haven't yet, I'm sorry, but pull your spinners, please. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know what? If you don't want to kill birds, keep your spinners. But for the most part, in 90 per- 90% of the situations I'd be hunting, I'd, I've we've pulled our spinners since like the second weekend of October and they're just, 
I haven't even used Unless it. you're hunting a field. Unless you're hunting a field. Then use as many as you want. But on water at this point, I wouldn't. I don't even remember the last time I used a spinner. We uh, This year? We used one opening day, which we only saw one duck. So I used, <laughs> I used one opening day. We uh we used some when we went to that marsh like three weeks ago. Oh, you remember right, that as soon as yeah. the sun came up, we pulled them, mm-hmm. which turned out to be the other guys that were, yeah, you know, pushing those ducks off. But they kept acting weary, and the first thing we did was okay, we're pulling the spinners, and every bird that would come off on the, on the left side of us, mm-hmm. everything would dump in because there's you know those guys were there, but everything yeah. that came in off that direction just dumped right in. So, you know, it's just pull, pull the spinners. Please, I beg of you. So, um, we got scouting, decoys, ooh, calling. You're up, buddy. What do you do to call? Well, I kind of touched on it a little bit. Read the birds. Um, this time of year, especially if you have pressure birds in the area, man, sometimes don't even pick it up. I That's my personal opinion. Um, it kind of... It kind of just depends on, like, I mean, eh, this is duck hunting period. How are the birds acting? Yeah. Um, really soft. I would not be loud with them at all. If, like, almost dangerously soft. Like, if they hear you, they hear you. If they don't hear you, they don't hear you. But screaming at ducks at this point um, is pretty much a giant waste of time. Now, if you ever pull up to a feed or pull up to a... Uh a water spot with some birds that are loafing. What you're going to hear now is kind of a transition. Usually earlier season, you'll hear pen mallards being really obnoxiously noisy. When you get more to late season, you're going to hear the, especially with windy days, these birds are going to get really quiet. Now, this is usually the point in which I make a, a decision to really start using my drake whistle uh, mm-hmm. more and give them just a couple of drake whistles just to get their attention but then just be quiet and let them do what they're going to do. I like to use the Drake whistle, and then actually one, especially because they tend to, at least a couple of them tend to travel with mallards late season. Yeah. The widgeon whistle, I find, is really, really productive. I use that a lot. I've killed a pretty good number of mallards using that. Yep. Um, Because I think not many people think to use it. Um. Everybody, I mean, most most of your public land hunters are so focused upon using a hen mallard. And so, like, if you use, I mean, I would literally almost put the your hen mallard call down and then just pick up a drake whistle. Yeah. And whether you're using it for the mallard or the widgeon, um, if you're seeing enough p- pintails where you could use it, you're, you're in a weird spot. <laughs> um I, yeah, I just wouldn't even pick up the hen call other than just to be soft, really super soft. Maybe just a slight, just feed or chuckle every once in a while. Um, I do think one, like, one thing that could work, I've never hunted with a group of people that has been able to do this, and it's no shade or disrespect towards the people that I hunt. I'm talking like Terrell and Micah, my dad, um, some of those guys from my past um, is if you set like a really, really nice, like four to six dozen decoys 
bird, you know, decoy spread. But then you almost were like, you know how, have you ever seen those trail cam pic, like videos of birds dumping into a hole and they're just super loud and obnoxious because there's just like, there's so many of them in there. Yeah. If you got a super duper windy day and you just were constant with a widgeon whistle, Drake Mallard, just a, an occasional like just greeting call from a hen, a feeder chuckle. If you had four or five guys that had enough calls and enough experience to do something like that, like I think your best bet is to be quiet. But if you had the experience in the blind where you could be loud enough, but with the right kind of loudness, like the right kind of calls, yeah. I think you could actually kill a lot of birds. And here's my here's my opposite thinking to that just a sec okay so and you'll see this in different types of hunting so like there's blind hunting and then there's timber hunting Mm -hmm. you know because you can get those guys spread out in different areas from each other say one guy's 20 yards from the other guy or whatnot it works a lot better because there's noise coming from different directions i would say it depends on your blind too because if you got two or three guys going in the same blind Mm-hmm. And all that noise comes from one direction, and du- ducks can pick you out of that. Yeah, no, that is absolutely true. Which, it's a valid you know, point. Like, you know, like one of those spots that we hunt where we can spread out from each other, I think that works awesome. Yeah. And that's like, especially with goose hunting, even though we're in the same blind, a lot of times I'll be putting pushing my call out the back of the blind mm-hmm. just to make it seem like there's noise going different directions. And that's the other thing uh, with that. Because of that, Really making sure that you're hitting, if you're calling at your birds, if if you are making any noise towards them, try and hit them on their swings. Don't be making a whole lot of noise when they're coming towards you because they'll pick you out. Yep. I mean, so fast, especially if they're even kind of educated. Um, when it comes to, like, hunting the reservoirs and the lake or ponds and whatnot, I have found... The further you can get your decoys away from the shore, if you are hunting those kind of situations, I think the better. I really like playing the crosswind. So say if you're sitting facing east mm-hmm. and you got a north-south one, that way if they hit that north wind and they just keep their eyes locked on the decoys instead of you, I like playing that a lot. Yeah. Because it keeps their focus on. Well, that's why I like that one one spot we've been hunting so much but yeah absolutely and that's you know if that's where we end up on thursday that's why it's because we'll have that perfect cross but uh. yeah i don't know that i've got a lot more than that i just say um going into we can kind of go to or goose hunting we'll probably go more in depth later on in like say january but especially getting into this season. Um, this kind of a good good one for goose season is the fact that when it's this warm, geese tend to be super sporadic. Um, they're going to be in different places that they're not necessarily used to. Like I remember a couple of years ago, and clear even into like end of December, I'd see geese on like hay fields. And I'm like, this is, I've mm-hmm. never seen geese other than like on corn fields and maybe like yeah. a soybean field once in a while. And I was like, this is really odd, but you know, you got to find the birds where you find the birds. But talking about, like, if you're starting to field hunt, you can maybe get a hunt or two off the body water, but 
truthfully, if it were me, I would just leave them on the body of water, don't hunt them, leave the roost, and go hunt them on the fields because, you know, if you keep a, a roost, like one's probably going to get started here in our area in the next few weeks, probably two, three weeks. If we can get a cold front, that'd be great. But they'll start stacking up on there, and I just leave it because we can have a month or more worth of hunting off that mm-hmm. one roost instead of blowing it up and having a cool hunt. Cool, yeah, great, but then it's, they're just never going to come back. So that's just a, a, something to keep in mind when you're thinking about hunting a farm pond is maybe I should leave this. So... What's your opinion on loafs? If you've got a... On loafs? Yeah, like if you've got geese that are loafing on a farm pond. So, in this time of the year, you'll find a lot is that you'll have these geese that pond hop. A lot of times they'll pond hop off where the roost is, and they'll go pond hop onto somewhere that has, like, grass around the edges. Mm-hmm. Um, that, if I was going to hunt that, and I know it's going to be a loaf, I'm going to get super super like your spread or not spread your hide has to be perfect right along the edge and i would run a small spread like six decoys out in front of you and maybe a couple dozen silos around me i wasn't even talking about that aspect i was just talking whether you'd even hunt it at all or not oh i would definitely hunt a loaf okay if i found one and there there again i just it's hard to it's one of those things man you really got to do your scouting and pattern them. If you pattern mm-hmm. them, that's great. But, yeah. you know, with them pond hopping, it they could not be there the next yeah. day. You have no idea. It no. really is a shot in the dark. It can be difficult. No, I would. Now, if it comes together, then it's a <laughs> it's killer. But I think a lot of people that hunt ponds, for geese in particular, really underestimate how much value it is to have floaters. Yeah. Like, for me, if I'm hunting a farm pond, I'm more interested in having geese in the water yep. than on the land. Because, like, I've seen some of these videos, and I, I'm not gonna, uh, not gonna shame him, but one person I think of a lot is Outdoor Limits. They hunt a lot of farm ponds, and the area that they are for geese. Yep. And it seems like they throw like ten to fifteen dozen decoys around the edges of the ponds that they're hunting and I just I just feel like sometimes that just doesn't look super realistic in my opinion because a lot of times those farm ponds if you're hunting a loaf and it's not meant to be the roost those birds really aren't going there to just be out and about some of them will get out of the water eventually but I just more than likely I think it just looks natural to have just a bunch of floaters it would depend on so outdoor limits it on the I think it's a perspective thing. So if he's hunting where he's hunting, and I think I know in that general area, it's a lot of lessers, and lessers yeah. tend to be more flocks, like size-wise. You know, most farm ponds around here that you're finding a loaf at this time of year, I know that, that, somebody's going to shame me, but I'm going to say like 100 to 200 geese maximum. That That is a valid, valid point. I didn't think about the lesser versus the greater yeah. aspect because – at least on our side of the state, and I'm not a huge goose hunter, but like the limited what I have done, I can only say for sure I've ever only shot one for sure lesser. Yeah. Like everything I've ever shot has been either young graders or just graders, like your big freaking jumbos. <laughs> we shot a lot of lessers last year. Really? 
a lot of lessers up until like the almost the end of January. Mm-hmm. Like just because it was so warm, we shot a lot of lessers up until when we really started getting that snow in February. They finally moved out, and the big ends were there. But yeah, they they like to mix in too. So no, I I uh, just late season in general and. Um, thinking about this since I've had a few people ask me about it. Um, Nala, Nala, she's doing good. She's getting back on top. She, I think this is her third week, third week of just hanging out at home. She got her stitches out today, so um, I'm just not one to really throw a dog back into a situation. So we're starting to train. Probably, I'll probably take her up to two day, two a days now. That way she's getting back up in shape and getting it going. Um, doing really well. She's got a lot of energy from being <laughs> doing nothing at home. And Drake, uh, so Drake stayed during our uh, trip, and I think he, uh, I think he was a little loving with the old <laughs> treats. Cause she got a little chubby, so that's okay. We'll get her back into shape. But uh, just wait, or something to talk about it, especially late season, is uh, your dog is because just think about it twice and make sure your dog is safe in those scenarios because you get really those crazy scenarios of cold water it can it can really be a bad situation fast if you know that dog can't handle it or Mm -hmm. you don't have an experienced dog especially like in the river or just just fair warning to be safe late season yeah don't push don't push your dog don't push your equipment don't push your your friends past anything that they're unable to do because sometimes and i'm i'm known to do this like with the late season like we do some odd kind of off the wall things sometimes and like late season is when i tend to try new things because i'm searching for some form of success yeah and those are the situations where they can they can become a little dangerous in the aspect of like you know if you're hunting the river dog gets swept away I mean, depending on what river you're hunting. Yeah. Um, uh, another aspect of the river is you never know where the holes are on a river. You got to be really, really careful as you're navigating them. Um, watch out for, watch out for jerk beavers that decide yeah. to chew sticks into spikes. Yeah. So, oh, and this is a good one. I want to say this before we get on. Uh, clothing. Clothing is in my opinion, a huge one. Clothing can make or break your hunt. They can make or break you living or not. But um, my biggest thing about late season is really focusing on being comfortable because, man, you can get cold quick and you can turn into a good hunt to a really bad hunt quickly because there's a lot of late season hunts that things just don't pick up until 11. Mm -hmm. And by that time, you know, you've been sitting there for four or five hours in the cold, man. You don't got your snacks. You don't got close and you close out of there at 9 30 10 and you look back and there's a mountain of mallards falling in that is another fantastic point you yeah i'm not just talking about the clothes the clothes is amazing point because you want to sit out there as long as you possibly can because you never know when those birds are going to show up late season yeah like uh and i think we've kind of been seeing it like the last couple hunts we even went on the first part of November before you left and I went to deer camp 
we would be sitting there and at like nine o'clock ducks would just show out of show up out of nowhere. Yep. Never seen those ducks there in the morning. They just came from nowhere. And like that's that's a pretty normal late season thing, especially with mallards. The ten o'clock mallards is a real thing. Yeah. That's no joke. <laughs> like you if if you have the time, sit as long as you can. Bring some food. Uh you know, take a little nap ski or something. Let people watch while you nap, rotate. Don't be, I mean, I've done some all day sits during late season, and sometimes that midday period can almost be your best time. Yep. So, yes, sir. Uh, I, I think w- that's all I had, really. I had, oh, I had one other point. Oh, shoot it. Uh, this time of year, I kind of said it. Try new stuff, try new areas, travel. I mean, whether you go south or north, this is a good time. This like, I don't think it's a terrible time to adventure, like to go try a new state. Like I think both me and Hunter really wish that we were able to go hunt South Dakota right now. Um, some of those southern states are opening up. If you're willing to chase those openers, I mean, openers always have birds. Yeah. And I know Arkansas ripped him this weekend. Yeah. Like, and I'd be interested to know how old Louisiana did, too. Everything I saw, they did pretty well. <laughs> pretty well. You know, that that's another crazy aspect. I never understand how, you know, actually, it's, it's simple. I just hate denying it. All those early season birds, as soon as it gets a little cold, that, you know, end up in Nebraska, the birds we see end of October. They just, like, get one good breeze behind them, and they pick up and go right to Kansas and Arkansas. Yep. It's crazy. And I never understand how, like, because, you know, all these people from Arkansas, and they're just showing videos of thousands of ducks thousands i know buddy i know i'm all jealous what i want what i want is i want a duck boat and i want to go hunt reservoirs in kansas that's i've been seeing old freelance do pretty well on those mallards and it's just like irks me not not because i'm i'm jealous of him and i'm envious but it's not that i can't achieve <laughs> i'm just being too lazy and i should buy buy a boat Hey. hey, he he does a great job. He has the experience. He's a very well bred hunter. He's doing everything right. He deserves a success. Kudos to him. I just want to go down there and do it too. <laughs> oh, yeah. I completely, I completely agree. I always watch him. Watch him, and I'm like, man. I actually the thing that's more frustrating about it for me because like I appreciate and like value the success that he has. Like that is outstanding for him. He's been doing it for. 30 years and they've been duck hunting for a long time and they've been duck hunting public land only. So like they've spent a long time getting to know the area that they hunt. Actually, they've spent a long time getting to know their entire state. There probably isn't a marsh lake or little duck hole that freelance doesn't know about in his state. Yeah. Which is bonkers. But like I come over here and whenever we talk about areas that you know, you'll be like during teal season and early duck season. 
you were talking about some spots and I'd be like, yeah, I've driven by them. I just, I don't know. I, I never have that kind of luck that like freelance has is in our area. Yeah. And like, I've ne- it, it it's brutal. Like I have great late October, early November spots when we get the big push of those first mallards and a real good push of Gadwall. Yeah. But like past that, it's like I've never in the, in our area had great success. I have good luck going out west, but yeah. I don't know, they just don't I don't it's usually like we said, even in the past, is I feel like this November has always been slow, so I usually pack it with stuff like pheasant hunting, and then in the end of December, it usually deer gets se- going. Deer season comes at the right time, because, like, I go deer hunting for a week, um, and Thanksgiving, some years Thanksgiving really produces for me. I don't think it's going to produce this year, but. Don't you say that. I'm still going to go hunting. Don't you say that. I'm going to drag your poopy ass with me, too. <laughs> I'll just wash it off in the lake. We're good. It's a little uh, extra chow chow. It'll be 38 degrees on Thursday. You're going to be cold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, talk about that. Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do because going from Mexico to this, man, I'm I'm going to be freaking cold. I'm going to have to. I'm going to put some hot hands on my stuff and talk about staying warm. But Try and shove yourself in your wife's uh Oh my! That big old sit- yeah. sicker jacket. I don't. I won't go that far. I'll just <laughs> wear those <laughs> couple hot patches, and I end up getting Sitka waders. So, I guess we'll see how warm those Sitka waders. So Brad, Brad, talked me into buying them. Damn it, Brad! Made me made me pay thousand dollars for these waders, but they are the most comfortable waders I've ever wore. Now, my my biggest worry about them was because they're breathables and they're like. I wouldn't say super thin, but they're they're not insulated. I'm just curious on how they'll hold up late season for me, just warmth wise. So I don't know. Really, just gonna have to figure it out as we go, I suppose. I don't know how warm I'm gonna be. I every time I fix a hole in my waders, <laughs> yeah. arrives, and I, I'm trying so hard to get them through the season. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I'm probably gonna have to buy some, but. You're more stubborn than I have been. I I couldn't do it. I I don't want to do it. I just uh, we'll see. You'll see. You'll see. All right. We're at an hour six. I think that wraps it up for late season tips. Um, a little reminder: just find some birds, and hide yourself real good. You won't shoot some birds. You won't kill them on the couch. Get out and do it. Yeah. So. They were putting together a plan. I think we're looking forward to that. So, all right, guys, I appreciate you guys listening to our mumbo jumbo here. <laughs> and uh, if you could take some time today and say, "Hey, Bigger and Hunters podcast is really great," to Apple Podcasts review us, that would be great too. So, uh, I'd, I'd appreciate it. And uh, thanks so much, guys. Um, before we go, make sure to subscribe to Hunter Jeremy's pot or podcast. YouTube, HuntFish365. Hopefully he's got some banger hunt from Thanksgiving Day. And uh, we'll post it sometime soon. So, do you have that deer? Have you put any deer ones up yet? Uh, I'm working on deer camp. It's, man, we shot 
a couple deer, but I didn't get any of them on camera. Oh, okay. But the hunt that's going to be really, really good is I got the two does that me and Joe shot last weekend. Oh, nice. Well, he's got some deer content. So make sure to check that out and uh, appreciate you guys. Have a good night.